0: The topic I'm going to be discussing is a bit controversial, but I believe it's necessary um, for all of us to hear and to learn and to grow from. Um, So it was through much prayer and uh, meditation that I went through this. And uh, I don't know why it seems like I get the most difficult topics, but... uh, I feel privileged to present this to the, to the congregation. Um, so, thank you, son, for praying. Um, but today's topic is, How Can I Overcome Lust? But I actually changed the title to, How Can We Overcome Lust? Uh, if anybody has the book, I recommend you, if you don't have it, I recommend you get the book. It's a lot of the information as I was going through this, um, reading and and doing a little research and so on, a lot of it I understood. A lot of it I understood. Um, However, the perspective was a little different. Uh, Looking at sin and lust uh, through a biblical lens, uh, was something that um, I never really engaged with. So this was a, an opportunity for me to grow and to learn. Um, so I, I hope and I pray that you all take this, read it, meditate on it, and learn from it. Um, how can we overcome Lust. That's a a very interesting question, and uh, I think a lot of people have pondered that question for many years. Um, However, the book starts out with um, a passage from C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Um, Lewis uses some imagery uh, that paints a very um, poignant picture of uh, lust, Uh, And shows us that lust is a perversion of sexual desire, and that lust must be killed in order to fulfill God's design for human sexuality. The main character in the story meets a condemned man with a red lizard on his shoulder. Interesting. The man's complexion is dark and oily, which is a reflection of the pollution that's in his soul. The lizard whispers continually in the man's ear, uh, which irritates the man, and he continues to tell him to be quiet. The condemned man meets an angel who offers to quiet the lizard by killing it. He replies that he wants to silence the lizard only because of the present company, but he doesn't want to do anything as severe as killing it. So you kind of see where this is going, you see the picture that it's painting here. The angel explains that killing the lizard is the only way for the man to live. He replies that it would be painful to kill the lizard, and it would and it might and he, the man, may die in the process. And the lizard whispers Killing me won't be natural to the man. The angel succeeds in convincing the man that it would be better to die than to live with the creature. While the angel kills, when the angel kills the lizard, the man and the lizard are both transformed. The man shines brightly and the lizard changes into a stallion So that the main character gives us an explanation for this situation. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most foul, will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountains. Not because... They are too weak. What is a lizard compared to a stallion? Lust is poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with the riches and energy and desire which will arise when lust has been killed. So temptation to sexual lust are increasingly abundant today. And we see that in our culture and in our society, right? The proliferation of internet pornography, for example, has become so prevalent that begun to dull people's senses to the seriousness of lust in the heart. So I actually went out and did a little research, and I heard that uh, watching internet pornography can rewire the human brain. So Neuroscience News um, wrote a little piece uh, about that very fact. Pornography satisfies every one of the prerequisites of neuroplastic change. Neuroplastic change is a brain's ability to change and adapt as a result of an experience. So, when pornographers boast that they are pushing the envelope by introducing new, harder themes, what they don't say is that they must because their customers are building up a tolerance to the content. Think about that. Pornographic scenes like addictive substances are hyper-stimulating triggers that lead to unnatural high levels of dopamine secretion. This can damage the dopamine reward system and leave it unresponsive to natural sources of pleasure. So in a sense, what is that telling us? It is rewiring our brain. That's the physical aspect. So the failure to recognize lust for what it is and to mortify it in the heart has left a host of wrecked marriages, ministries, and we've seen that, um, and churches in its wake. Um, What comes to my mind is, I don't know if you all have known about or heard of Robbie Zacharias, was a well-known apologist um, uh, and for many years um, I think did do a lot of good for the body of Christ however um, he fell into sexual sin and destroyed his ministry and him as well Many people today confuse lust with sexual desire, and the result is that they believe mortifying lust in the heart is neither possible nor desirable. Likewise, many fail to understand that sexual desire is a God-given, God-glorifying gift through creation, while lust is essentially self-centered, as all sin is. And it's, it's interesting, Jim and I were just talking about that a moment ago. It is a converse of self-denial and love for the triune God and our neighbor. This teaching, I hope, will highlight the seriousness of sexual lust and provide hope to overcome it. A good way to do this is to consider the foundational principles of overcoming lust in general, identifying the nature of sexual lust in particular and applying biblical principles to find a path forward through it. We can overcome sexual lust through union with Christ as the Spirit makes us like Him through God-given means. Sexual lust is a form of meditation directed towards the wrong objects for the wrong reasons. Some primary biblical means of overcoming lust are meditation, faith, and prayer. Our victory must be grounded in meditating on the appropriate truths of Scripture, which we will see as we continue our teaching. So let's start with... The foundation. I probably won't get through all of this because it's a lot of material and I want to... Go ahead. Can I ask you a question? I think you mentioned the word you You said this is a controversial subject. What do you mean by that? Well, I think when I say controversial, lust and sexual lust is always deemed very controversial in our society. Uh, especially in, in present company. Um, so I just want to be mindful of that. Okay, I thought you referring to that people disagree with the church? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, we'll dive a little deeper into that as I continue my, my discussion. Uh, because I think, uh, without going too far into what I'm going to be discussing here, but I think some of the churches have abdicated... Uh, in terms of their stance on sexuality and have um, acquiesced to uh, sexual perversion. Um, so but I'll remember that. Um, foundation, overcoming lust and the lust and lust in Christ. One of the most important things that we can learn in fighting against sin is that your sin, as well as your situation in life, is not unique. let, let, Let me state that again. One of the most important things that we can learn in fighting against sin is that your sin, as well as your situation in life, is not unique. Satan would convince you that no one understands and that no one can help us. Yet God tells us that no temptation has overcome us other than what is common to man. That's 1 Corinthians 10.13. While there may be unique aspects to our personal struggles, the Lord stresses common remedies for diverse afflictions. Second Corinthians 1 3. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 7. Reads as, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comforter who ourselves receives from God. For just as we share abundantly in the suffering of Christ, so also we comfort our Our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same suffering we suffer. And our hope is, our hope, I'm sorry, for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, we also, you share in our comfort. So also you share in our comfort. So, sin is self-focused and obedience is God-focused. Satan would isolate us from other believers in our problems in order to rob us of hope. The Lord points repeatedly to what you have in common with fellow believers in order to foster our hope. 1 Peter 4.12 reads, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. The best way to address the problem of sexual lust is to learn how to battle against lust in general. While lust can refer to sexual lust, it can also refer to an inordinate and misdirected desire or affliction. The difference helps us understand how the spirit works in the Christian life. We need to learn how to understand and apply the common principles of godly living in order to make progress in particular cases. Knowing how to overcome lust, as many inordinate as any inordinate desire or affliction puts the question of sexual lust in proper perspective. So what lust is and how it works? All sin begins with lust, and all lust begins in the heart and works outward. This is why James writes in James 1, 13 through 15, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God is, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when is full grown, gives birth to death. This passage teaches us some very clear truths about the nature, rise, and progress of lust. First and foremost, lust is our fault. We cannot blame God for it. This reflects the truth of God. Neither is nor can be the author approver of sin. We cannot say that we must keep sinning because God made me like this way, or made me this way. We cannot say that we must keep sinning because God... I'm sorry. Men often make this claim with regard to sexual lust by acting as though lusting after women in their hearts is unavoidable and that the only thing they can do about it is to remove external temptations. We must ask the question... Is this really God's design? We should not confuse powerful desires for sin with the necessity of nature. Thomas Manton, 1652, an English Puritan clergyman and was a clerk to the Westminster Assembly and chaplain to Oliver Cromwell, noted Actions cannot be accomplished without our own concurrence, and we must bear the guilt. Let's think about this. While people practicing sins like homosexuality often say things like, God made me this way, do many think the same way in relation to other temptations? This is the same case when a man excuses sexual lusts by saying that God made him to be attracted to women. It is not a subtle way of blaming God for the problem by redefining sin until we conceive, I'm sorry, until we convince ourselves that it is natural. It is not common for Christian men to look with repulsion on homosexuality. I'm sorry, my notes are out of order. I'm sorry, when the root of their sin, I'm sorry, my notes are a bit out of order here. It is not common for Christian men to look at, look with repulsion on homosexuality when the root of their sin is the same. We must own up to our sin by recognizing that we alone are the blame for it. Lust grows from the inside out. As a child is conceived in its mother's womb and grows to maturity until the mother is ready to give birth, so sin is conceived in the heart and matures from thoughts into words, looks, gestures, and actions. Lust is innately an inward sin. Whether we lust after people as sexual objects or after money, fame, power, popularity, security or anything else, it always grows from inside out rather than from outside in. This is why we cannot kill lust merely by removing the environment in which it expresses itself. As long as there is lust in the heart, there will be no cleanliness in the conversation. As worms in wood, will at length cause rottenness to appear. That's a very um, clear picture. If we attempt to restrain lust in the heart by changing our circumstances, only when we have failed to heed Jesus' warning to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Luke 12, 1 through 3 In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Lust is powerful. Jesus says, Whoever committed sin is a slave to sin. John 8:34. According to James, <clears throat> sin tempts us, draws us away and entices us. Sin is also dangerous. Then conception, pregnancy and birth of sin always results in death of the mother. Romans 6:23 states or reads, "The wages of sin is death. The other side of this is that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ gives eternal life to those for whom He breaks the power of sin. The Westminster Confession reads us, reads, reminds us, I'm sorry, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation. So there's no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. People who are addicted to food, those living in sexual perversion, compulsive spenders, lazy people, and those in the grasp of other deeply rooted sins are on to something when they say, this is just who I am. Sin is not an abstract concept. Sin is a personal action of sinners. And it permeates every fiber of their being. Even though the power of sin is broken in a Christian, he or she continues to feel its power. The good news is that Christ came to destroy the works of the devil in us. 1 John 3.8 and he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4.4 4. I probably won't get through the rest of this, but I'll continue on until we stop another five minutes. So, uprooting sin. How do we do that? Uprooting and replacing sin. Uprooting lust is like gardening. (laughs) I must dig up the weeds, by their roots, and plant good plants in their place. Um, First, we seek. The primary step in overcoming lust is seeking Christ in heavenly realms. Paul writes, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Paul directs us how to think. This is always how progress in the Christian life operates in scripture. The command here tells us to seek those things that are above where Christ is seated and to fix our affections on them. We seek and fix our affections on them because Christ is there. The remaining text is a statement of fact rather than an appeal. If we are believers, we have died to sin, to self, and to the things of this life. Our lives are hidden with Christ and God. Christ is our life. Christ will appear, and we will appear with him in glory. The uprooting of lust must begin with the meditation of Bible truths and exercising faith in God's promises. We must have a clear understanding of Christ and confidence in what he has done and will do both for us and in us. Kill. We see Paul also urges us to kill our sins. Paul writes, Mortify, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, inordinate affection, evil consumptions, Consumptions, Covetous, covetousness which is idolatry for which things shake, shake and wrath I'm sorry for which things sake the wrath of god cometh on the children of disobedient in the which ye also walketh sometime when ye lived in them but now ye also put off all their anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all, Colossians 3, 5, 11. As before, there are commands in what Paul writes, two very specific commands, kill our members on the earth and put off our evil deeds. Robert Carr, a minister in the Church of England in the 17th century, penned in his writing an antidote against lust, or a discourse of uncleanliness in 1690, noted that one church father called this the hardest text in the whole Bible and the hardest duty in Christianity that we can go about. Paul points here, Paul's point here, is that the principle related to uprooting all kinds of sin are common rather than unique. He also sees that these sins used to characterize believers but the Christian no longer identified themselves with them. We now have put on a new man are being renewed in the image of God in Christ. Together we all, with all people from every background while sin remains in us it no longer reigns in us. And it it is inexcusable for Christians to identify themselves as those bondage, as those bound to sin. We are saints and holy to God. Galatians 5.21 says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This does not mean that we should doubt whether we are in Christ simply because we struggle with sin. Nor does it mean that we should excuse sin, telling others in ourselves, that we have victory over it when we continue to fall into it. No. This shows us that the process of uprooting sin must flow from faith in who Christ is for us and what he is doing in us. Christ is all and in all, and we must expect him to be be so by faith if we would put off, put to death our sinful deeds and desires. Carr adds that our baptism includes a vow to live this way. This is antidote against lust. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, I still have a few more points to um, continue on, replace, and repeat. Uh, So we will continue this next, Lord, today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, for this time to hear how we can overcome lust in our lives, Lord, through your word, through your scripture. And We thank you, Lord, that you've given us uh, a path forward uh, to adhere to. Uh, so that we can battle against this in our lives, uh, and that, Lord, you give us the victory through Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior and our King. Father God, we thank you. We go away from this uh, with our minds focused and stayed upon you, and we go glorifying you in all that we do today, this day, and every day. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.